This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 401 for Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Brock at Vola is back. You can find him at the Cat Volver on all the social media that matters. Hello, my friend. How have you been? I've been very well, and uh, congratulations on 400. Thank you. That's a phenomenal uh, benchmark. Congratulations. Congratulations on the second human. I know it is also a phenomenal. I mean, I give all credit to to Laura, my wife, who now we have two beautiful daughters. Um, and yeah, if you follow my Insta, Facebook, occasionally I'll post um, uh, pictures of them. Honestly, it's not a lack of like, Laura and I have talked about this. We will expose our children uh, before their level of permission to the social media and stuff like that. Totally fine. Some people don't like Laura's sister. Uh, doesn't really do as much with her for her kids. And once they're older and they're probably like, stop taking pictures of us. We're like, you know, it's fine. But right now we're like, cute babies. So we're just like, and we do that with our cats. And like, we still do to some degree. So we can't, we can't keep our kids off, uh, offline, even in their young age, because they're just so adorable. They are really uh, cute. Well, I mean, and I remember early pictures of Emerson as well. And I mean, mm -hmm. as most new parents do for their first child, there's a lot of photos. And, yeah. um, but I remember learning a few things too, because if I remember correctly, and I don't remember the reason, but Emerson had to wear like a, a, a small, like a foam helmet for the first little while when she, when she was in the world. And yes. I would just like, I, I, I got the, the, the impression I got from Laura's Instagram was that, you know, like it's a point of education. It's like, everything's fine. She's, she, she doesn't mind it. It's all good. And then, Hey, we've graduated away from the helmet and all is back to being, you know, happy and dancing toddler and all over the place. And it was just, it was cool to kind of see that where it was just not something you see every day, but then it then just gets embraced by the cuteness. And I always thought she looked like a little wrestler. It always kind of, I always got a good kick <laughs> yeah. out of it, like a college wrestler because Laura used to put bows and stuff on, <laughs> oh, yeah. on, on the helmet and dress it up, which I thought was cool. I was surprised there wasn't like a Superman sticker or, you know, or some, you know, some like bicycle we stickers, did. like BMX stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 kind of went back and forth as to how much of like a broken arm cast we would make it, and uh, we stuck with the just white color because you can get ones with like stars and stuff on patterns and stuff. But uh, but yeah, basically uh, she uh, she did great. She uh, uh, was developing typically, and she got her helmet off pretty fast, and uh, just for some uh, skull shaping uh, from her early time in the NICU uh, with some flat spots and whatnot. And, and so once she was out of it though, we were basically like, Oh yeah. And by the way, she's cruising. So like now we really would love for her to have head protection. And <laughs> even last night when Emerson was asleep, she woke up in the middle of the night and basically like bat bumped her head pretty hard against the wall to the point where her eyes shot open. And I was like, uh, just go back to sleep. Also, I hope you're not concussed. Like, Wow. So don't go to sleep. Like, I don't know what's going on. So like, she's just a thrasher in her sleep. So like in my head, I'm like, I cannot imagine waking up to like thrashing around and bonking your head against the wall. I would also be like, what the hell just happened? 
so anyway um so yeah head protection at this point in our lives would be great and we've got helmets for even like her little scooter and, and whatnot but man nice she's uh she's a wrecking ball she's so brave she's awesome and nice. and a- ainsley's the same way ainsley's straight up at this point where we're like oh my god you're so young and yet you so desperately want to crawl like you're flailing desperately whenever <laughs> you're on your tummy like it's so she's so like wanting to go so gotta catch up to emerson great. right emerson moves around it's like how how does this slightly bigger human like i i get the big humans like they're magic i don't know how that works but this this one here is much closer to my size i feel That's like what this, they is, say. this is doable like i can see this With siblings see, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know whether my sister was walking as soon as I was. The joke that my mother likes to say is that I was too heavy by the time I was six months. So she's like, you have to learn to walk because I can't carry you around anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I know I remember um, from a very young age. It's weird that the things that you you recall, but my sister used to climb on things. I don't remember whether uh, she was walking around and getting into trouble, but she used to climb up onto stuff. And so I remember yelling to my mother to come quick. Andrea is up on top of the dresser. And my mother was just like, what do you mean? So my mom comes in (laughs) and sure enough, my sister is on top of the dresser. And she had pulled the drawers out and used them like stairs to just go straight up vertically up the face of the dresser. And like, it was just ridiculous. And it's, you can, and you, I mean, social media these days, you'll see all kinds of stuff. You like someone that's got like a toddler that knows where the cookies are. Uh, I think even Chris Helmsworth has, has shared videos of his kid, uh, not three, but a little bit older, like basically shimmying up the flat face of the fridge using the handle, like a rope to get to, the, yeah, yeah, to get to exactly, the cookies yeah. that are kept above the fridge. And he's just like, yeah, we just, we just decided to keep a hidden camera in the kitchen and watch this kid like completely just scale the front face of a refrigerator like <laughs> yeah, exactly unbelievable what kids could do when they put their minds to it right yeah absolutely well this episode is going to be unique in that we're going to be spending the entire show talking about falcon and the winter soldier which wrapped up last week so heads up spoilers for that uh, i was going to try and orchestrate a round table but with just certain restrictions around here and just the time of day that we were needed to record. It wasn't, it wasn't possible, but happy to have rocket back for it because uh, obviously you have a lot more comic experience than I do. Uh, and it's always fun to talk Marvel stuff with you anyway. So looking forward to that. But first we have a listener email from Lord Valor subject is what makes a good movie. Hello, Joel and the multitude of co-hosts. University is winding down and I'm finally finding the time to catch up on the podcast. So I hope the topic I bring has not been discussed in the podcast recently. I'm going to university for digital media, which means I'm studying film and how to make them. We have studied camera work, editing work, but what I'm finding I like the most is script writing uh, in terms of the aspects of film that I'm working on. I also find that this is what makes or breaks the story for me in film. If the script isn't good, then the film will not be good. Which brings me to ask, in your opinion, what makes a movie really, really good? Or on the other spectrum, what makes a film really, really bad? Is it the writing, acting, editing, or some other aspect? Would love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work. I'll take a dark roast to go, Lord Valor. Thanks so much for the great uh, email, Lord Valor. As always, good to hear from you. I hope you're doing well. And I really appreciate emails coming into the show. It's always a lot of fun to talk about these. Uh, Brockett, since you are the resident writer, I thought I'd let I'd let you go go first on the reply to this. Yeah, I um I, I did not do uh I don't have a film background. I have a theater background. I graduated with a BA in theater. So um, the easy and short and political and real and really truthfully the true answer is all that matters to make a great film um 
any one aspect of it won't necessarily tr uh, like triumph over the other to like carry it to the finish line. But I will say, I mean, as you're probably seeing as a as you do screenwriting, like uh, the writer is the blueprint of the house. So you might be able to make like a really dope house. Um, but if the foundations of the blueprint mean that the walls are slanted, like you're going to have to like really, really get around slanty walls to be like to make people think this house was really awesome or that it could structurally be sound. And I think that's the difference is um, uh, from a writer's standpoint of like, well, the you know, you, you want the writing to be really paramount here. But I mean, excellent, excellent acting can overcome some pretty bad lines. I mean, to be honest, like I love the MCU and we'll talk to about it. But well, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier aside, like you go back and you watch some of these shows and it's like, like this, the plots of them aren't incredibly complex, but the acting is good and they deliver such good quips. And again, kind of sometimes like even as a writer, like you might let a little bit of like ad-libbing. So that's not necessarily scripted that some of these actors are bringing to the table. So again, great acting can help there. Great direction is incredibly important because that's what's literally going to use the blueprint and use the acting and put it out there. Cinematography has got to be important. Um, but also as recently as this, the big Zack Snyder cut, like it's kind of shown that editing also amongst many things is incredibly important as well. Like what you decide to edit in, edit out, keep, you know, what shot, you know, these sort of things. So even though you could have great writing, great direction, acting, all this sort of stuff, once the editor takes hold, that's the person that's going to put it all together and, put it out there for people essentially you know they're gonna have other people uh you know involved in that process too it's not just the end all be all but still that's a really big responsibility also i knew people who did some editing uh when they lived in la and they said it was the most mind-numbing experience of the entire life um and i can only imagine editing a podcast just the audio format how frustrating it can be <laughs> um but uh but yeah i think overall those things are important you know some people would say you know, like uh, there's other aspects that are possibly more important. I think, again, whatever part of the craft you come to it from, um, you know, when I was much younger and I was only doing acting, I probably would have said that acting was is really, really important because if the script is written well, but acted poorly, no one's going to see the script's like value. Um which could be true too. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, where do you want to take the A, the B, the C and the D in the process of putting it all together? And I think just even having a, a D anywhere is going to hurt it. So it's almost better to have a, a, a whole production of B pluses. So you end up with almost like an A minus film rather than have like an A plus at any one stage, but a D or even a C minus yeah. at one stage, you end up kind of with like a B film. So I think that's, that can be really important. Um, as well just you know spreading out not the mediocrity but spreading out the goodness and greatness maybe not phenomenal like sometimes things all come together really well phenomenally but at the same time i think uh even some of the most popular films of all time some of the ones we love the most you can critique elements of it and be like well that's a b but the rest of the film's so good it's an a plus you know yeah i'm trying to think of a recent movie that was like really on that b list that i still like you know, yeah. that can be pretty critical of stuff, but I'm glad that you brought up the Snyder cut because I have seen it and I think it's, too, a really, yeah. it's a really good example of how re-editing and redirecting and um, pushing something, you know, to where it was supposed to be the director's vision um, doesn't change it a whole lot. Like it's still, yes, it ends up being a, a different 
presentation. It ends up being emotionally different. It was a lot sadder uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I found it hard to watch. Yeah. Um, I, they, I, I particularly, to, I mean, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of, of the Snyder Cut because we'll be here all day. But I found that <laughs> it, like, it really, I thought that the theatrical release was really sketchy at the end. Like, it was kind of like a video game end level kind of fight we win sort of situation. They dropped the ball on the Snyder Cut as far as the climax goes. Like, it made little to no sense as to what was going on. Uh, even less so than the theatrical re release, which I didn't think was possible. Um, and the thing that I found that is underlying there is that that was the that was the goal. Like, I mean, if that was the vision that Zack Snyder had set out to with the script that he chose, with the script edits that he decided on, with the direction and acting that he was orchestrating in the original vision of the film, then like, if you don't like that original premise and idea, then you're not going to like anything to do with the acting, the effects, the editing, the storytelling, the pacing, the cinematography, it doesn't matter. Like if you don't like the yeah. base idea, then you're not going to like the film. My suggestion, and this will be the only shot that I fire, if we're going to let people make superhero films, I feel like the underlying tone should be they have to like superheroes first before they're allowed <laughs> to make a superhero film about our favorite superheroes. Unless the film is meant to, or the project is meant to, undercut and highlight all the CD gross things that people don't want to talk about case in point, like the series, the boys, right? Like yeah, sure. that doesn't yeah. pretend to be a Superman movie. It's, it's very upfront about what it is and what it's meant to be. Uh, and I think that that's the problem that I have with, with the way that justice league has been handled is that it's just, it's just, it's meant to be this dark and terrible kind of like not satirical, but like critical look at superheroes when that's not what people want i mean take a look at the success of marvel and yes they've been able to handle some of these tougher questions in in marvel's universe but they do so from a point of we like the heroes you know like there's 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 a something to strive towards in this as opposed to analyze and dissect which which i think is is good yeah and again as using the Zack snyder cut um given what i said you would think that oh if you're the writer creator director and you're able to edit it like man it should make the film even better and sometimes it goes well edgar wright i think sometimes does it really well like there's you know chris nolan with his brother sometimes will write and do that like you can have a say in the process like obviously if you're the writer and then you're also going to direct it or co-write it or co-direct whatever it is like that can kind of work you know but i think we can also see from like george lucas's for you know three prequels of star wars like you need a lawrence kasdan in the room you need you need these other voices in the room like zack snyder needed more voices in the room and maybe you know uh maybe you know, the original cut with bringing in joss whedon or other voices or execs and stuff is, is not the way to go either but in both cases you know there was bad approaches so you know it there's in, in everything there's sort of balance so sorry you you were you were saying something else as well i think uh with your background joel I'm a visual person. Like I have a bachelor of fine arts. I have an animation diploma. I worked in animation and television for five or six years, the early start of my career. So a lot of what I look at at a film is visual. And uh, so I'll see what could be a good story. If it doesn't hold up visually for me in the first couple of minutes, I'm kind of checking out, you know, it's more so of, of things like a television series or things that are like Netflix, if Netflix is asking for a large time investment, it better look good. Like it better look like where it's worth my time. Uh, and which is strange because 
I know from from what we've just talked about that story really is is key and without a good story you're really just gonna be watching a bunch of flashy lights kind of go by and I've and I've seen films are like that where I was just like well this was a cool idea but the underlying premise was just not there like it was a cough all Zack Snyder films cough, well, yeah, cough. Ex- exactly right you know <laughs> or, or um I watched uh, I eventually got through the whole thing but it took a couple of sittings which was Pacific Rim Uprising I think the second one. Oh, uh, okay. It's sure. terrible. It's I a terrible. It, no. It's terrible. I mean, the special effects <laughs> are phenomenal. Like, there's some yeah. scenes that are are flawless. There's a couple of other green screens where you're like, wow, that is obviously they are on a very small soundstage right now, even though they're not <laughs> supposed to be, you know. But but there are other parts of that where like the acting or the the I shouldn't say the acting. The lines that the actors are given to say are terrible to the point yeah. where the actors must be like Re- really this is what you want this is what the character says next and it's it's like this formulaic like one-liner that's been batted around the writer's room so much that it's just not even it doesn't even sound right anymore it's like saying the word toothpaste a thousand times over out loud after a while it just stops holding all meaning right you're just like what <laughs> what am i saying right and so some of these things in the in the movie were, were terrible so i know that like special effects and visuals and all that kind of stuff cannot hold up but it depends too, I think, greatly on the kinds of media you're consuming. For me, a lot of what I consume is fantasy and sci-fi. And if like the sci-fi presentation and or the fantasy presentation is hokey as all get out, it could be a great it could be based on a fantastic novel. If it's poor execution, I don't care. Like I really yeah. just don't I can't get into it. I'd rather read the book, right? Like I'd rather Yeah. And this is I think again to your point about writing, uh and 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 Lord Valor's point about writing, like if it exists in media already as a novel and you can let your brain do the cinematography, you know, the pacing, the editing, the emotional stuff, the acting, yeah. the acting, then I think that you're going to be better off than if it's mishandled in any other way. And I agree with you. I think that I think that if there's an A plus in the board, but uh, along with a, a D minus, then the whole thing is just going to tank. Like you're just you're not going to be able to get past the hokey ending or, you know, the character that doesn't make any sense or something in the film that's mm-hmm. offensive. Like there's all these kind of different things that can go wrong. And and I think that you do have to have have a balance. Um, and I'm with you on the checks and balances too. I don't know for sure. I'd like to hear more interviews with them. But I imagine the Russo brothers probably have that kind of relationship where they're wanting to make the best film possible. And one of them might have a pretty doofy idea. And the other might be just like, mm, maybe not for this film. Like there might be a, a give and take there. It's purely, I'm just guessing, but I think with two people, then you have more of that balance. And I mean, like you can, lots of people cite the Sam Raimi Spider-Man stuff for like, this is what happens when you can executive produce and direct all at the same time. Just like, it's it's never good. I feel like there has to yeah. be, a num- there has to be a number of, of people in the room, as long as story and the quality of the project is pr- paramount. Like if it's money, then you end up with Michael Bay movies. Um, but if it's, if it's, if it's about storytelling, then I think like you mentioned, you know, Chris Nolan and, and uh, for me, the Russo brothers, like there's, there's stuff in there that I think kind of rises to the top. Um, but I will absolutely check out of something that potentially has a good story if it's visually unappealing. And I, I know that's on me. I know that's just kind of like where I sit, but, um, I, I find it much easier to watch something that has like good visuals and mediocre writing than something that has terrible visuals and, and, and okay or good writing because I can't get to that point. And that's just me, like my visual eye just kind of twitching. 
Exactly. And I think that's where that's the difference is like sometimes the best writing isn't that you've overwritten it or it's like it's written so perfectly like an Aaron Sorkin script, which is also why Aaron Sorkin is like really difficult to direct and he usually does his own stuff is like um, one of the things I think is important is like sometimes the best writing is just like leaving enough room to breathe so that the other elements can bring something to it. And so if you leave a loose blueprint of the house and you just put the walls up, but you don't tell them what kind of door or door frame or roofing to put on the house, then at the end of the day, it could be a very basic house, but that might be the best writing because all the trappings you're putting on it are gonna add to it. Like, I think it would be very strange at this point to write a script for Robert Downey Jr or like uh, Ryan Reynolds or some of these people who are just epically great off the cuff and not allow them enough room to breathe so they can put a little bit of themselves into it. Right. Because at that point, you're not doing a good job. You're not doing a service not only to an actor, but also to just the overall thing. So some of the best writing is just just not writing too much. So, you know, and, and I think I think you're also on the mark there. Like, I've, I think I've enjoyed... Like, for God's sake, I just watched the new um, Godzilla Kong film and I enjoyed the hell of it. And that script, honestly, if you put it down in front of me, I would be hard to read through. (laughs) But like when you watch it, like visually it had enough in it. Like I would say the script's probably about a C, maybe even a C minus. But um, overall, the spectacle to me was about a A minus. And so the whole thing ends up about B minus. And so that's enjoyable in my book, you know? And there's also something to be said for those, the the, the kind of film that you're watching. Like if you're going in for some sort of emotional story that's, you know, even has murmurs before you watched about being up for Oscars, you have expectations, right? Whereas if you go to, you go to Godzilla versus Kong, you are not looking for Oscar worthy performances from anybody that's, you know, staring at a, at a, a silver and gold green ball on a stick you know, in a soundstage somewhere <laughs> pretending that it's a, a, a seven story monkey, you know, like, or an, an yeah. like you just, you, you, you have certain expectations. Like I watched, um, I don't remember the last Godzilla before that it had Millie Bobby Brown in it. It was like Godzilla versus the monsters or something. And, um, I did not watch that for the acting chops. Like you, you know who the <laughs> bad guys are, you know, like you, it is telegraphed to you. It is, it's meant to be like a summer blockbuster, go stuff your face with popcorn and have a good time. And it delivers on, on that front. I personally also think that Godzilla looks stupid. Like I, you know, I, I, I know they keep on trying to make it look cool, but ultimately it still looks like a dude in a suit to me. And it just does not make any sense. And then all of the other things that they had, all the other monsters that Godzilla had to fight or team up with in that film, they looked amazing because they, they, they had the, the time. I shouldn't say amazing. Most of them looked really good to, to have, you know, the, just imagination to do something different. Whereas Godzilla, like they just, they're sticking so close to the OG kind of like Godzilla look of him. It's like, it doesn't make any sense from a, any kind of monster biology standpoint. Like it just, it just, it it loses all credibility in, in that way. I still didn't hate the movie. I found it entertaining. It was different than saying like, woof, that's two hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. Um, as with most of those films, they didn't really stick the landing very well, but, Still leading up to it, I remember there was just some very tense situations where like, no, it's not a fantastic script, but like this chase scene, like, I don't know who's going to die here. Like this is, I'm invested, you know? And that's, yeah. that, yeah, that, that's usually my, my tell on something where even if the script 
or the special effects or the overall package is not like knocking it out of the park. If there's still situations where I'm just like, oh gosh, like I'm kind of on the edge of my chair because I want to know what happens next. Then I'm just like, there's something here. I might not be able to articulate it. I might even be angry that I'm watching the show. And still, I'm just like, I need to, ha- I, I need to hit next. I need to know what happens next. I, I, we haven't um, I, I talked about Invincible uh, on, on the show last week with Lou. And it's the same thing. I don't particularly like the show, but it asks a lot of questions and has given a lot of what ifs. And I'm just curious to see how it's going to end. Um, but I, I think it, it puts effort into places it doesn't need to and lacks effort in places it sorely needs. And yet I'm still watching. <laughs> like, I, like, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, but there are moments in that, like fight scenes or moments of peril where you're just kind of like, they've already set the stakes where like you don't really know who's safe. And I'm not familiar with the comics. Yeah. So I don't have like a a heads up of like i i you know i i don't know yeah you don't know yeah i yeah. don't know where the things go so when stuff happens it was like oh geez i had no idea that was going to happen so <laughs> yeah there, there there's are some big yeah. yeah there are some big moments in that so like that kind of stuff will will still hook me in i'll still be able to disassociate after that and say like well yes i watched the whole thing and i couldn't stop myself from watching the whole thing and yet i still will give it like a c minus because like it's not very good <laughs> you know but there's that's something, interesting yeah it's, it's I haven't started like to watch wreck, it you know? yet. Everyone keeps bug, bugging me about it because I'm a massive fan of the comic and I've read the whole run except for the last big trade, which is probably about 12 issues or so. It was just interesting to hear they're going to do Invincible because for me, the comic really found a fine line balance. Of course, take it, take it. Uh, I was my freshman year in college where I came to it. So mm-hmm. like it was that perfect time um, where I was living you know, Superman love life, but I was ready to like have a little bit more edge to stuff. Um, over the course of the series, as I picked through it over like a decade plus of it, like there are big story beats that like were total swings and hit me so hard and were great. And there's other big swings that I was like, oh man, you know, like I think I'm just in a place in my life where that's not for me or like, oh, that was a bummer, you know, like, you know, that sort of stuff. And like, I think um, Invincible is uh, just going to be a really interesting ride, depending on how much of the comic they do or do not uh, ride on. So mm. it's all finished. So that's a good, the good part is, you know, if, if they do want to do the full run, they have it. They don't have to animate this. We're halfway through. They just decide to screw off in the woods and make an ending that doesn't make any sense. But, right. um, but yeah, I think, it's interesting from the acting talent I've heard and the people behind it, I would have thought production and acting, a lot of those things. And of course the writing from Kirkman originally adapted by who knows who, but um, I would have said that's a whole bunch of B's, maybe B pluses. Um, so, Hey, it should end up being a B plus show, but you're giving a C minus. So I'm interested. I'll have to check it out. And yeah. I mean, and, and I, I, th- I throw these things out of just like emotional response. I don't really have an, an analytical way of assessing the show and giving it a grade, but um, for me, it's just so much of it, so much of the budget looks like it was spent on the voice talent that there wasn't much left for <laughs> the other things that they're trying oh, to do. Oh, interesting. Okay. Do. I'll have to check it yeah, out. Yeah, okay. there's some there's some rough stuff. But I mean, you got to remember, it's a cartoon and you're talking to an animator, someone that went to school for this stuff and knows how yeah. it's done. And yeah, like, exactly. there are some things where I'm just kind of like, really, did you have to cut that corner? Like, I don't know. So there's, there's stuff like that that will just, just get in my craw and bug me about things like that. But overall, I'm, I'm also safe to say, like, it just might not be the right story for me. Uh, in the same way that I'm not a big Deadpool fan, like I'm not a big anti-hero fan. So there's, there's a lot of True. stuff that goes yeah. on there. So, um, but uh, speaking of heroes, we can move on to the main discussion this week, which is going to be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episodes four, five, and six. 
which is the series or season finale, I guess, uh, because I'm hoping there's going to make, there are going to be more. Uh, if you have not seen those one, where have you been? And two spoilers, because there's just no way to talk about this without quoting and talking about how exciting we were about certain parts and, uh, talking about different things. So I will say now go watch it. You need to, it's worth it. If you like this, if you like this kind of show, even in the littlest bit, it's probably one of the best things that I've seen in terms of superhero TV shows in a very, very long time. Uh, and you need to go watch it. But if you um, have not yet a uh, big old fat Falcon, the winter soldier spoilers right now, uh, I touched a little bit last week on episode four, uh, the whole world is watching with Lou, but I'll kind of give like a, a bit of a, uh, a sum up here. Uh, Ao uh, and the Dora Milaje uh, humiliate Walker in a fight uh, trying to take, I think it was Zemo. Um, Sam tries to talk down Carly, but Walker, impatient, burges in. A fright breaks out, resulting in the death of Hoskins by Carly, uh, sliding Walker into a rage where he murders one of the Flag Smashers with Captain America's shield to horrified bystanders who are all filming on their cell phones. Um, in episode five, Truth, Sam and Bucky take the shield back from Walker, uh, and in the fight, uh, Walker destroys Sam's wings. There's a lot more going on in episode five. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and then on the final episode, One World, One People, we get the reveal of Sam Wilson as the new Captain America in a new flight suit from Wakanda. And all kinds of really cool stuff happens uh, in terms of them fighting the Flag Smashers and how it all gets kind of woven together in, into what is hopefully going to be a new, a new era for the MCU. Um, I will give a shout out here to at straw hat goofy at Jay Stubes and at Nick is a human on TikTok of all places. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of Marvel television reaction, just kind of nerdy uh, reactions. Um, straw hat goofy and Jay Stubes actually have a podcast called geeks of the week. Uh, I've subscribed because I, I like their content on TikTok. I haven't listened to the podcast yet. They're still very young. It's only two or three episodes in, but I think episode two, they talk about the, the full Falcon and, and winter soldier series. And uh, I say that because there's a lot of important information uh, and a lot of important things being said about social issues and political issues currently in the world we live in, in the Falcon and the winter soldier. And uh straw hat goofy is an African-American who I think you should listen to have him tell you what this means and how important it is. I still agree and think that everyone should go, watch this show and take in everything that it's doing. And we'll get into a little bit of that in a minute, but I just, I really want to point people in the direction of Straw Hat Goofy, uh, his podcast, as well as Jay Stubes and Nick is a human, just because they're just so good at patient analysis and, and combined with like deep comic nerdery, like they know their shit and in a way that I don't. And so it's cool to see both of those things come together. So I want to encourage everybody to go check those out. Uh, so for me, I, this is probably one of the best superhero series I've ever seen. Uh, where like just as a as a just straight up like not an A plus, but definitely I want to say B plus A. Like I'm I'm I loved this experience. What did you feel about it, Brockett? Uh, it's tough. I would when you said B plus, I was like I feel it's higher, and then I would thought out loud A minus. I was like oh, I feel it's lower. So it's weird. Like I feel like it's right on the cusp of A minus B plus. We'll get into some of the things. I think the problem is, and and truthfully, um, this is going to happen now with the MCU. Is like we've had so like over a decade of the MCU and the fingers of the MCU all over the place that now it's gotten to a point where now we're like 
sub critiquing what to be honest as comic book fans is a is like a plus like universe material everything the fact that we can get into the nitty-gritty of whether or not the casting of this d-list character is really bothersome when you should just be excited they got b through c list characters done really well like come on like that's just a wealth of riches but we're at that point uh, the MCU and Disney and all this stuff is like their superpower, super franchises with all this money and resources. They're done it right. They laid the groundwork. So now they reap the rewards. I think overall, uh, I definitely think it was great. I think my impression off the top was that it was better uh, than one division, but not as impactful overall. And then when I started to write my notes, I was like, well, maybe not. And maybe it, I mean, there's far more threads through the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that end up having an impact over on the MCU. I will say the only thing about both one division and the Falcon and Winter Soldier is technically speaking, if you just did not see either of those, by the time these characters show up back in a film, you probably can kind of like catch up with some of the bigger notes. Like I seriously doubt some of the like C to D list characters are going to make the jump to the big screen, both the ones introduced in WandaVision and the ones introduced in Falcon Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I think those TV series have are, are interesting because they're introducing these things. But I think anybody who might be excited for uh, the inclusion of, um, well, you should be excited for the inclusion of Isaiah Bradley anyway, but for the inclusion of his grandson and what the ramifications that could mean, uh, as well as some of the other people who showed up in WandaVision and some of the characters announced for Hawkeye and whatnot. If you can put all those uh, those little breadcrumbs together and kind of figure out, oh, what that could mean, um, then yeah, you could get excited, but I don't think you should be excited about that for anything that's going to be the quote-unquote tentpole level stuff. However, I do agree. Falcon and Winter Soldier for just six episodes was tight. Um, I can't remember which one it was. I think for me, four, no, five was the one that dragged the most, but it also was the one that really had to just kind of, you know, work through a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, and the fact that I, I think they actually shortened the season because of COVID, they had to stop it. And then they went back to film like I didn't really see where that harmed it because I think pacing wise, it still was really good and tight and any big storylines that cut, I think trimming them down was good. Um, again, we'll get to some of the side characters um, and what that means there. But yeah, overall, my impression is, yeah, I would B plus or A minus depending on the day. It's funny, you know, that you mentioned that episode five uh, truth is the one that you found slow because I didn't actually it was episode three for me, the one called Power Broker, where they go to um, Madripoor. Oh, that see, was that I was the departure into for Zemo, me. Zemo, though. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. It, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't so much Zemo. I just found the whole thing came to a grinding halt. Like it was an entire episode of Sam and Bucky not being Sam and Bucky. Like it, it, it didn't feel. I shouldn't say that. Not being the Falcon. You know, like not being, not doing hero stuff. They're kind of along for this weird, because the script says so, ride, you know, with Zemo being richer than rich and now guiding them through, you know, the underbelly of what they're trying to, you know, figure out in terms of tracking the super soldier serum and the power broker. And I I don't, I don't argue that it wasn't necessary. I just feel like it could have been executed a lot better. Sure, uh, yeah. But for me, the reason why Truth Episode 5 did not drag on is because I've been waiting the entire series for more character development from Sam Wilson. And we get it. Like, sure, I, yeah. I, I, I remember you get a lot of Bucky character development in the first three episodes. There's a lot of 
like he doesn't say a whole lot but when he does you get windows into what's going on inside of his head you get windows into right yeah. how he's feeling how his history has affected him what his future is like all this kind of stuff that he's pondering and most of what you get out of, out of sam wilson is quippy lethal weapon kind of jokey stuff um and uh there are some important beats but most of the time it's it's pretty it's pretty surface level it's not until probably the end of um in episode four when sam is trying to reason with carly then you get to see the the um veteran counselor sam right talk to carly and try to you know express the things in the right way that's then interrupted yeah. by Walker. Uh, then you get to see in episode five the the talk with Isaiah Bradley and the talk with um, his sister and the talk with Bucky. So yes, it's a lot of talking, but I remember pausing the show after um, Sam meets with uh, Isaiah Bradley and they talk about like how the the America will never accept a black Captain America. And I paused it thinking like, good Lord, like I hope this, I hope there's still enough left in the show. I feel like I've only been watching for 20 minutes. Like, am I halfway through? And nope, I was 20 minutes into what was about an hour and 10 or something. I was like, oh gosh, like what are they going to do? They they gave us this meaty conversation like in the first 20 minutes. I was just yeah, like, oh no, wow. Yeah. So, so I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to go. So I, I was definitely on board for that even the training montage and stuff like I was Oh yeah, no, <laughs> you know, it, was like it was awesome. It was there for me, right? So I didn't mind it so much. No, it was great. I think uh, to your point I, and I think uh the difference is, is um so for me the Sam Wilson stuff that like I was more pulled me in more was when he was with Isaiah Bradley. It was when you you're seeing these conversations with two African American men, two black men um in the MCU about what that means. Those moments drew me in. Whereas, like up until that point, Bucky constantly ribbing him about when he's going to pick up the shield, like this constant turmoil of of Sam, whether or not it, you know the shield doesn't feel like it's me. But I think to your what you're saying is good because in that fourth episode, you see you see him in that moment talking to Carly. That's Sam, but that's also what Steve saw in Sam as like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the reason why he got the shield. Yeah, exactly. And then in five, you see him physically put in the work to do the rest of it. Because again, I think one of the really important parts too is just like, uh, like Anthony Mackie was phenomenal casting and Sebastian Stand was phenomenal casting. And you're finally able to see something from those characters uh, in this series where they are front and center. So they're not behind like Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. in the background. Like I loved when Anthony Mackie showed up in Ant-Man, the first one, like um, I just, you know, there's just, these actors have just been phenomenal. So they're front and center. You're able to give them a lot more. And this series just provided a lot of that. And I think again, one of the things that was just really exciting um, from the whole story point is like, you have introduced Walker, who, by the way, it's just, it's, 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 it's my wife reminded me that uh, the guy who plays Walker is Kurt Russell's son. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I, I just saw Kurt Russell though. I was like, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. Um, and, um, but that Walker storyline is really important because it shows you that, okay, it, Steve Rogers was an anomaly because we found somebody who should be on paper a great Steve Rogers, but of course, you know, he's not Steve Rogers. We've seen it, blah, blah, blah. So we see what it takes to be that vision of Cap. 
and and it doesn't have to be super soldier it doesn't have to be because we've seen super soldiers all over this thing bucky right next to him is a is a super soldier essentially we see zemo who's this bad guy who's this genius and what's he do as soon as he gets access to a super soldier serum he destroys it all like you would that would blow your mind if somebody like Lex Luthor did it but that's what makes zemo as a character really fascinating because he's going to do his own schemes without like injecting super soldier and everything um, so I just, overall, there was a lot of great beats of like, we're setting the table with things that are going to have multiple layers that are going to affect multiple characters and the pacing of bringing Sam all the way to that title card when it flips and it shows the title of the show, quote unquote, um, it, that gave me goosebumps, which is so cheesy, but it, it was effective. And there was a part of me that knew kind of is going to happen or hoped it was. And when it did it, even then it didn't take away from it. Like I love the goosebumps of that flip. Um, just, uh, well, we're in spoilers. Just when it flips the title of the show, it no longer says the Falcon. It says Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And, the Winter Soldier, and like, yeah. as I say it, I'm getting goosebumps. Like that was great. And I think they earned it by the end. Um, really really and truly like that's where the a plus is is in the acting of of your leads and the writing of the leads and the execution of of that story and the acting together was oh man really like, really good the last 30 seconds of episode five when sam goes through the training must montage sees the news and walks over to the case that bucky gave him from wakanda <laughs> And he flips it open. There's a beat with some excellent music. And then it goes to black. Like, I have not been on the edge of my seat like that since Game <laughs> of Thrones, right? Like, I mean, I was just, yeah. I knew, I knew with the swell in the music and the slow, the slow pan in, I was like, nope, this is the end of the show. You're, this yeah. is, this, I have to wait yeah. the next week for this. And that's fine. That's fine. But I was still like, <laughs> so close, <laughs> so close. Because like they said, they, they do such a good job with that buildup. And I'm glad that we didn't get, uh sam as captain america struggling to be captain america this entire series i'm glad that it was sam struggling with the idea of becoming captain america for the series until he finally does it i think that that was a much better That's way a good to go. point yeah yeah um, he, he i think yeah i think sorry he was you're really right about from the get-go he could have been captain america and that's important because he didn't struggle the yeah. moment he decided to be captain america to your point he was Captain America. It was great. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, he was already there. He just didn't. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether it was a line from Bucky. And I have a couple of quotes written down. But there was a line from Bucky about, um, you, you like you're all. It was along the lines of you're already Captain America. You just haven't figured it out yet, or so, something yeah. to those lines essentially. And I don't, I don't know whether it was his sister that said it or whether it was Bucky. But it was in like that episode five somewhere, I think, um, where he sorted it out. Um, Something that I really enjoyed was um, just how aware they wrote Bucky uh, in terms of like the the whole, the two things that stuck out to me in the series were Bucky's comment to Sam saying, if you, if Steve was wrong about you, then he could have been wrong about me in terms yeah. of Sam putting down the shield uh, or not taking up the shield, I guess. And, and he then apologizes later for that. Uh, there's a conversation when they're basically what I think is a really great, great um, juxtaposition. They're essentially having a game of catch in the backyard. Yeah. Like it's almost yeah. like father and son. Cause we were going to remember that Bucky is old, even though he was frozen for a while, he was born in, in the twenties. So yeah. 
Um, Sam Wilson says, feels weird picking it up again. The legacy of the shield is complicated to say the least, obviously referring to, you know, America and the history of, of blacks in America. Uh, and Bucky Barnes says, when Steve told me what he was planning, I don't think either of us really understood what it felt like for a black man to be handed the shield. How could we? I owe you an apology. I'm sorry. And I just, I love that you, you got the window of, of the earlier comment into Bucky's kind of emotional state about that you could, he could have been wrong about you uh, early on. And then him apologizing for not just that, but like for other things as well, just really kind of gives you this kind of like, it, it, it lets you know just how personal this is for the characters. And then mm -hmm. in parallel, just how personal the social political issues are for everyone dealing with them right oh yeah and so it's, it's yeah. It, it just it, it just hammers home like this is not yes it's a it's a group of people but it's also affecting each one of them on an individual level and i just thought that they did such a good job of not giving you an after school special like speech it's it's through conversation it works much better through conversation in these shows than it does through uh through any kind of like one man speech not that there's anything wrong with the one man speech that Mackie has to give in 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 episode six it's fine too but but i feel like there's a lot of subtlety and just g good writing you know as we were talking about earlier with uh, lord valor's email that ha that happened in episode five um really loved the um i'm not going to quote everything but i, I really enjoyed the, the exchanges between uh sam and his sister as well yeah you know like you're fighting the fight out here and the fight in here at the same time like You've got nothing but my respect and support and all that kind of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to be your big sister. I'm still going to rib you from time to time, you know, which I yeah. thought, you know, I thought was great. Um, but I, I loved the, to, to, to steer it back to more like comic booky nerdy stuff. I loved the subtleties that they were adding into the, the becoming montage of, of um, Sam training uh, he's, doing a lot of running and jumping and spinning and practicing with the shield. And they're kind of giving you this idea. Like if you're not a super soldier, having this thing fly at your head is intimidating as all hell. Cause you've got to, oh, figure, yeah. Yeah, you've got to figure out how to catch it. And when they show him running and training, he runs on the, the left side of the screen or his right leaving room on the left, you know, for, for that fame, you know, that line that Rogers always has on your left. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's moments when he's training all day long and he's running around and you see his nephews are looking up to him and they're like, are you training? And he says, all day. You know, like, I can do this all day. Like, there's just, yeah. it's not the same quote and it's subtle and you have to kind of be really in tune with the MCU specifically, not just the comics, but the movies in general to catch up on all that kind of stuff. And I missed some of it and I caught others. And yeah. Uh, that's why I like, I wanted to point out all the, the other um, TikTok creators that I mentioned earlier, because I've been picking up on some of this stuff from them going like, Oh man, like I, I, I picked up on some of this, but not all of this. Like, I can't believe you yeah. caught this. It's so good. So you said that you were a big fan of how they handled Zemo. So change my mind. <laughs> Cause okay. I'm not a fan. So here's the thing. So my favorite film is uh, Captain America. Uh, Civil War. Uh, we've, I've talked about it ad nauseum on the show, so I won't get into other aspects of it. But Zemo himself, as a character, so they've established this world. They put, they pulled Sokovia. Like, sure, you've got the twins, blah blah blah, and you dealt with some of that with Wandavision. But Zemo, to me, is far more effective use of Sokovia because 
he has no powers. But in, in this series, I will say the caveat of now he's super rich and he's a Baron, like getting back to like the Baron Zemo of things is a little bit is is getting a little pulling him more into like the splashy comicness of it than the grittiness that he showed up in uh, Civil War with. But I love Michael Brule is just one of those guys that like every time he shows up, like I know it's him, but also like, I really like the type of characters they give him. Like he just, I think picks characters that are great for what he does great, which are these like, like just weird, like offsetting characters, but are also like, you can't not look at them. And I think that's, what's great about a good cats and villain is, um, is you want a villain that you, you don't want to look away from because they're fascinating to watch for how they make your skin crawl or how brilliant they are in moments. And I think everything in that third episode that Zemo does, although the script sort of pushes them with Zemo along the way, everything he does just feels so, it feels like Sherlock Holmes effortless, like, you know, and I think that's what's interesting is the thing is, again, Zemo can't, out punch anybody can't he he has some skills here and there and there's some other stuff in in the series where it seems a little bit again like he can throw his money around or he shoots some things but um overall he really has to rely on either planning or at least knowing the other people in the room enough to know where they're not going to go so that he knows the paths laid out for him so he's going to be like all right one of these options will appear and that's the way i'll go even to the point where like where they're all waiting around for carly and zemo just like uh, undoes a handcuff and then just like wanders into the back of the whole place and boom he's in the right place at the right time so like that's the thing about zemo that i find really interesting um and i am a sucker for zemo dancing that whole thing was just it really made me laugh because again it was like it seemed like hannibal lecter like just enjoying a piece of symphony where you're like it's fascinating to see these characters in a brief moment of like levity um but i really i really enjoyed zemo i thought having to break him out quote unquote was interesting but the funny part was like as to Bucky's credit to paraphrase, he's like, I didn't really break him out. He broke himself out. Like, that's the thing. Like Zemo just kind of knows what to do. And, and so Z as Zemo, I bought into the whole way. I just enjoyed it. Um, going back to like my, my, my thing though, like Zemo starts in prison and ends in prison. So really nothing changes for him. So if you don't see this series, like Zemo showing up again, is not really going to like be like, Oh God, I missed so much with, Z with like what happened there. But I do think Zemo's inclusion in the series added a lot more and was really valuable. Whereas some of the other characters are going to get to um, less so, but I, I really, I think Zemo of all of them was like my number one besides Mackie and Stan, Sebastian Stan. Um, mm. Those are my tops. Um, Zemo is my number one. And then Isaiah Bradley probably is my number uh, two of the side characters brought in uh, and Walker kind of three. I mean, Walker is like a necessary, honestly, by the end, I didn't really know for sure what they were trying to do with Walker. Cause I don't know us agent really well, but it's obvious by the end of four, like Walker is a bad guy, but then he's helping fighting at the end. So I'm like, are we going to have like a punisher situation where I have yeah. to like, sometimes I'm excited for him. And sometimes I'm like, I wish he was dead. Like, I don't like those characters. I really don't like the punisher. Um, so Walker is just not going to do anything for me. And again, like, I, I think Kurt Russell's son, sorry, I don't know his name. Uh, Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt Russell, uh, I guess is Wyatt Russell. he yeah. does a good job, but like, whereas Michael Brule, like is Michael Brule in his role? Like Wyatt is like, I don't know. He, he did a good job. He, he, he looked like 
a soldier when he needed to. He looked like a gruff guy. He had some moments where he had to really like work through things with his eyes that I thought he did pretty good. But there's just something about like his pouty face and that like Captain America helmet, which is probably the point. Like he just doesn't fill the helmet well Mm -hmm. where you're like, man, you just you just look like a, a whiny baby. And it sucks because the character shouldn't be that like he is so such an honorable past that for him to go through the journey he is should be a lot more tragic. And it ends up feeling a little bit more like, you know, like, Oh, he was kind of annoying at the beginning. Now he's annoying at the end. And it just ended up how I thought it was going to be, which sucks because it shouldn't be that way. Like not that character. You shouldn't feel that way about like given what service he's provided and everything, even to the point of the Kurt Marshall, like, which I think in your notes, I agree with, like, it was nice that that kind of was like a boom, we're done with that. We'll move on. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know yeah. how far they were going to go down the road of, of uh, the U.S. agent, which I only knew from like a little bit of Google searching and then quickly stopped because I, I didn't want to spoil myself on John Walker's storyline and expect right, yeah. this show to do one thing and have him do another. Um, and yeah. I don't I don't want to derail us too far, but just I think you had said Michael Brule. You mean Daniel Brule? Who played Daniel Bruhl? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Daniel. So with Walker, I I was confused like you in in the season finale when he was helping um, Bucky and and Sam, and they were also trusting him to help. Like yeah, he like he just shows up with a made at home shield and starts doing stuff, and like they barely even talk other than you're just kind of, like. I think maybe Bucky kind of clued in in that fact that, well, he's here to stop the Flag Smashers, so that's good. But at some point, we're going to have to deal with him. I just don't know when that is. And until that happens, he's a super soldier like me. And two of us against six of them is better than just me and Sam against six of them. Like, you just you can see him doing the mental math, but like it, it didn't feel good because like you, I was happy to see that he was almost court-martialed, but got a Correct. dishonorable discharge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I feel like they, um, they got to me. It was like good. They they took Walker down the road that I expected him to go. He snapped. He murdered somebody, and then he was punished by that. I'm I was happy that they didn't glorify that because I thought that would send the wrong message. Uh, I did enjoy, even though it's a sad circumstance, and I'm sure it's true of a lot of Americans uh, or any member of the military um, that, um, in terms of you know Canadian American wherever. Um, his, the way that he talks about, like, you trained me, I did your bidding. I did exactly what you trained me to do. And now you're, you're ripping my identity from me. And I can only imagine, you know, like the show handles a lot of stuff, but it also handles, you know, PTSD and like a lot of, a lot of deeper issues with military. And, and I thought his performance was good and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I know I've heard this from someone else online. So forgive me for not remembering the exact source. But Walker is a despicable person, but an interesting character. Like you, it's if, if he goes full villain, he makes for a really good villain. But for for that faux kind of like hero, it just makes your skin crawl and doesn't feel good. So you don't like the experience, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I was confused by by the the way that they handled Walker at the end, and I to to stick on Walker and, and that storyline. Whose idea was it to cast Julia Louis Dreyfus as Defontaine? Like it, she's horrible. <laughs> like she's not a bad actor. I've seen her in other stuff. She is terrible in this. Like, can we? Are we on the same page on that? Like she's just she's awful. She's awkward she's not cool she's not a spy she's weird and just it doesn't 
whose idea was the blue hair? Like I just, it, just yes, I understand it's a comic show, and we can get to and, you know Captain America's new costume in a minute. But like, I understand that yes, yeah, sure, there's some ways to stay true to the comics, but that was not one of them. Uh, I don't even know if she's necessarily needed, and if anything, I can think of a number of other actresses that would have been better for that role. Sure. Yeah, I think it's tricky because. So uh, Catherine Hahn for WandaVision sort of had this issue um, with um, with Agatha and like to some, I think for some people now I think Catherine Hahn did a phenomenal job up until the moment she is well sorry spoilers for WandaVision um, the, I think Catherine Hahn did a great job up until the point where basically they had her I think in like flight gear uh, and she had to like hover above the ground like it, it, and here's the thing. Uh, just to skew off uh wonder woman 84 i lauren i actually liked um i didn't hate huge aspects of it but i think the tricky part even when they announced kristen wig was going to come in as cheetah is this long-standing history of bringing in comedians as villains and back to my point about daniel Bruhl, like i think you have to have like a great villain can sometimes make you laugh uncomfortably but also make you laugh genuinely so it like they pull you in even more and you're like damn it i shouldn't love hannibal lecter but man does he get some quips um and and so i think the thing is with julia lewis dreyfus is that's what they're going for is like she just does a great job of disarming you Catherine Hahn does the same thing but the tricky part is sometimes those those actors still can't fill the role the way and i'm not talking physically but just like their their range or whatever they do doesn't stretch to the full corners like not every actor has the corners to do like you would think like for instance brad pitt blue eyes blonde hair he could be a great captain america physically but i don't think i don't think brad pitt would make a good captain america and i don't think he would i don't I, we've definitely seen now with chris evans like the gold standard of how to play cap uh well i'm sorry as the play steve rogers but um but i think that's different i don't think he has the corners brad pitt to fill what you need for captain america and i think julie louis dreyfus to your point kind of has that now when she showed up i wasn't put off by her but um i do think that uh she's definitely a small screener like i i, I think her and Catherine Hunt would both be very strange to see on the big screen they worked on the shows but it'd be weird to see on the big screen whereas um uh, some of the other characters like uh, well we've seen Tom Hiddleston before and he's going to get his own show but like, certain villains like small screen big screen can make the jump and you'd be like okay you know whatever like Walker would be kind of weird to see on the big screen but I could almost see him more on the big screen than Julia Dreyfus or Catherine Hahn um, but yeah I it's interesting yeah I, I see your point there with her she was a little weird unfortunately if I'm to be honest with this series, all the female characters in this series, the biggest negative point were actually probably pretty weak. They either had some of the worst writing or situational stuff or their stuff just didn't land for me. Like um, uh, Sam's sister to me was flawless, so she was great. But other than that, I could argue that Julie Louis-Dreyfus, um, uh, Sharon and, um, uh, God, I don't even know her name, Freckles, um, are, are supposedly main bad that we haven't even talked about. Like she's yeah. supposed to be our main bad. Like yeah. she's totally forgettable. I didn't buy her as an actress. I'm like just her style of acting just never worked for me. 
Laura bought it, but we've been different on different actresses in the past. But something about her, I was like, I just don't, I, nothing she says I buy into. I don't, I'm not charismatically drawn into anything she's saying. None of the people around her seem really raw, rawed by her. So I also no. don't understand why they're following her. And her storyline was incredibly tricky. Politically, the blip, it was very good. It was important. But again, and I don't know if it was the writing per se or the actress or the execution or combination of everything probably, but she herself just wasn't engaging. So if not for Zemo, I would say all the quote unquote villains were a failure in the series other than the greater villain of, you know, society, yeah. <laughs> which is probably really and truly the greatest that's, villain. Th- that's in the, the biggest series. villain. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. agree. No, um, Aaron Kellerman is the is the the actor that plays Carly Morgenthau, and I agree. Like, and, and I'm glad you pointed out that we haven't really talked about her much on the show because she does she doesn't leave that kind of an impression. And I could say that I don't necessarily lay that at, at, at Kellerman's feet. It's more about casting. Like at that point, I kind of feel like you need to cast somebody that has more gravitas there. Uh, yeah, I know yeah. that there's a line from Sam in the show at some point about saying like this this teenager just had nearly as much power as a, a, a an insane god referring to thanos uh, yes. over the over the you know this particular spectrum or this society or whatever it was and uh and that's the th- that's what the kind of illustrates it to me is like she seems like a misguided teenager she's a little bit older than that i guess but like it just she doesn't really have that kind of weight and i feel like again it, it could be that a casting issue and not necessarily like I wonder if you give the same lines and roughly the same performance to an actor that's a little bit older uh, and has a little bit more what's the word I'm looking for is more jaded in his belief. It's like because you look at 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 Carly Morgenthau and you go, how can you be this jaded? You're you haven't been around that long, you know. And I, got, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like there's that kind of a subconscious response. And also, it was pointed out to me that you know this plucky younger than you expect leader of a marginalized group it's this is the second time she's been in that position she played the same role in solo in a star wars story um oh, when she was the, she, she's that, the head yeah. of she's the head of the smugglers that they they fight the whole movie um so and then once I, that was pointed out to me i couldn't unsee it which is unfortunate um but yeah like it's it's one of those things where um i was getting more out of the show from a grand scheme that i was not paying as much attention to the secondary characters. And so they did fall pretty flat for me. Um, I like, I feel like there could be a number of people that could be better suited for, for DeFontaine. Um, like just like think about like actors like um, Charlize Theron or um, Rachel Wise, M- Marina Baccarin. Like there's a bunch of people that I think would be creepier uh, and, and hold more authority and, and have that weight that, that Julia Louis Dreyfus just does not. Um, I I can't say that I despise everything about Zemo. It was more like, see, I like Zemo in Captain America: Civil War. Like, I thought he was an excellent manipulator. Like, he's the puppeteer, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's he's the he's the person with no superpowers other than just a, a big brain and a lot of and and finding the right knowledge that basically wedges a, a huge rift in between the Avengers, you know, and does so without laser vision and, you know, super strength and all that kind of right, stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I, and he does exercise those muscles in, uh, the Falcon and the winter soldier, 
but it's it's the ham-fisted how have we never heard before in the feature film that he was in that he was richer than god you know like that he had a butler that would drive him around and blow stuff up for him like it just <laughs> like it, just, it that kind of stuff really starts to reach for me and i thought the mask was stupid and that's where i kind of checked out i was like really like sure have a fun fan nod have it in the trunk of a car have him look at it sideways i get it fine but like to have him wear it for absolutely no reason it's like congratulations you've hidden your identity and saved the people that you were just with who know who you are you're wearing the same dumb coat with the faux fur collar like we everybody mm-hmm. knows who you are that's it's, true it's that's it's, true. it's why it's why captain america doesn't wear a mask you know like just, he wears a helmet sometimes to protect his head when you're steve rogers or you wear goggles when you're you're sam wilson as captain america to give you all the cool info that you need but like it's not hiding your identity and yeah. and, I, and I don't think that they needed to hide Zemo's identity. He can just be a he can just be Baron Zemo and just be Baron Zemo. He doesn't need a purple mask. Uh, however, right. uh, one of the things that is a through point of the series, which I thought was a, an excellent point from Zemo, which underlines his despise of the uh, super soldier idea, is his quote that the desire to become superhuman cannot be separated from supremacist ideals. And he's talking about Walker. I believe yeah. in time, but also all kind of superhuman, etc. And just that, humanity. Yeah. yeah. And it leads to a conversation about like, you know, well, Steve Rogers was a super soldier. And he says, well, there's only ever been one of those. Like how many Steve Rogers have you met in your life? Everybody's like just the one because no one else is that good. Like no one else has got that kind of pure heart yeah. to them. And and I, I love the fact that he underlines the importance of that right before we get a Captain America that is not a superhuman like does not have a super soldier serum does not have special powers has some special gear but that's it you know yeah uh, and i say that i say that's it in terms of the physical superpowers that he would have not that there's nothing else to sam wilson but like it's it's just that that underlying tone of like this is the problem with super soldier serum and the exact antidote to that is precisely what we get for captain america right like it's it's right. the opposite of a super soldier it's a real heart real soldier you know all that kind of stuff and i just i i think he 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 teed it up very nicely well to your point too again you might not like zemo but we're getting a lot of good zemo bits um he has a great moment where he asked sam would you take the serum and he said no and he says no hesitation i like that you know like he Mm -hmm. points out that sam has no hesitation and that tells a lot to zemo and that like it's just and, and again those are really good moments i think the the you've quoted so much because the writing's really good. The dialogue was always really good outside of Carly. Good God, every time they had a scene with her, I was like, oh God, please just mm-hmm. don't be a long scene. Um, but again, we've talked about that. Um, I even like say even Walker's dialogue with his bud like felt real and like the way they were talking, and even when his bud's like, Hell yeah, I'd take that serum. But the reason why he takes he, his buddy says he would take it is essentially like in his thought, he's like, it just amplifies the best parts of you, right? And that would be the mindset I think everybody would have. And Walker doesn't do it right away. He gets pushed to it. And so I think, again, that's good characters. That's good writing and that sort of stuff. So it does make it a bummer that um, uh, we've had some of these uh, other people. Uh, I just before we wrap up, though, we should definitely at least hit on Sharon because she she her reintroduction and importance to the series is probably going to be pretty um uh polarizing for people yeah yeah and i'm i'm on the camp where i was 
unsurprised. I saw the fact that Sharon Carter was going to be the power broker from 8,000 miles away. And Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. I was really hoping that she was going to be revealed as some like double deep cover agent that was on the cusp of, of finding the power broker or, or something and just kind of have some sort of decent legacy for the Carter family. Cause of course she's Peggy Carter's niece and it just rubbed me the wrong way. It felt very easy. I wonder if this is something that suffered because of the COVID uh, 19 Maybe. performance yeah. or the uh, um, filming schedule. Like I wonder if that's something that they had to try and wrap up. It just felt lazy. And it also doesn't sit well with me just on the fact that I really enjoy Sharon Carter uh, as a character. I like that she's I agree. strong, independent, you know, fierce woman uh, and and can hold her own and, and help Steve Rogers and is a friend to these heroes. And I understand that she's had a, a, a shit stick given to her from the U.S. government. But like there's just all these things that I thought that if she was the character that we've been painted um to believe she is, then there would have been a way for her to figure out how to overcome this and rather than just turn into a villain. And I, I just, yeah, find it, I find I, it, I find it lazy. And like you were mentioning about, you know, uh, actors and actresses having the corners for certain things. I like Emily Van Camp as an actor. She does not sell me on selfish and evil. I'm sorry. I just, I don't buy it for yeah, a minute. You're right. I just don't buy it for a minute. You know, I but, agree. Yeah. But kick-ass CIA agent that can hold her own. Totally there. Like no, I was not even a stretch, like was in it to win it and enjoyed her in the films that she was in. But like, just, I just did not. <laughs> she I don't reminds buy her me, as yeah, a bad guy. I agree. She reminds me a little bit of Jennifer Garner where like Jennifer Garner, <laughs> the best she can do, the best she can do is be Electra, who at sometimes is a bad guy, but really is also just mostly out for herself. But never, I, I don't think I could ever really buy Jennifer Garner as like a pure scene chewing, like mastermind evil. Whereas mm-hmm. I think the same thing's happening with Van Camp, whereas like if, I guess if they want to evolve this character to be sort of this gray area, neutral type of character, because there's a lot of those in comics. Like, and that's important to have. Like, you have these, like the collector, you have these um, characters that every once in a while puts their thumb on the scales and tips it, usually in the favor of the heroes, um, because it's in their best interest. Um, but, but I think at the same time, for the bumper for the whole Falcon Winter Soldier to be her exoneration and then her basically being like, we're open for business. It was like, Oh, this is kind of lame. Like that's just not as, I just, I didn't know. I didn't think that that was, I, yeah, I, I didn't think that that plot line paid out in the end very well. I don't think it sets up very interestingly for the future. Um, the way other parts are, I'd rather even see more Julia Louis Dreyfus and Walker um, stuff than I would Sharon at this point, which is a shame too. Cause Sharon came in from, a movie she's like been on the big screen and i think she earned her place on there but now i feel like her, they've written her character to the point where i don't want to see it on the big screen so yeah. that's that can mm-hmm. be difficult that could be very tricky um and to your point maybe zemo's at that point too because if he uses more of the mask i think that'll be a little bit too i know we've seen some hokey villains but i think yeah he, he he's a little a little bit better used now on the the smaller screen as well but yeah so to wrap things up, I think we can talk about um, the final episode and the reveal of the new Captain America outfit, which is a winged suit, a winged flight suit that uh, Sam Wilson wears that he got um, from Bucky via Wakanda uh, to replace the wing suit that John Walker rips to shreds in their fight in episode four. 
Uh, and uh, he cruises into New York after he figures out that Carly and the Flag Smashers are going to hijack and uh, kidnap a bunch of world leaders, uh, or at least a bunch of U.S. leaders that are looking to um, displace a lot of refugees. Is essentially the the other social issue that they're tackling in this show. Yeah, uh, that's three at least major uh, major issues in the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just check them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just checking off the boxes as we go. Um, but I, I mean, like I. I love just the way that Anthony Mackie, Sam Wilson, Captain America move in this suit. Like it, it, it has all the cool things that Falcon has and then it's amplified by the shield and the acrobatics. And like, you really see the big picture come together and you forget that he's not superhuman. He's still a superhero yeah. though, right? Like you yeah, you get sure, yeah. you get Batman vibes from him, right? Like he's got the gear, he's got the knowledge of where to be and when and the acrobatics and like the timing of stuff when he rescues rescues people from the helicopter. Like this'll work, but this is gonna be perfect timing. And it's a callback to the thing he did in the first episode, which was badass. Like there's just so yeah. much there's just so much to it. Uh even the um the delivery of just like when he knocks the first guy out and you're like, who are you? I'm Captain America. Like he just, he just, he rolls with it. He doesn't stop to have like, there's no hokey kind of like pause. Like he just kind of says it and keeps on working, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I loved, I love that aspect of it. It reminded me of the, I can't remember the name of the, it was the something star in winter soldiers. The opening scene where Steve Rogers jumps out of the plane and then runs around on the boat, kicking people off and, you know, beating the snot out of everybody. And it reminded yeah. it reminded me of that scene. He comes in through the window, kicks the guy, and then just keeps on rolling. Right? Yeah, like that kind of stuff was really good. Uh, to the point where he actually has a, a fight with the same villain, the French terrorist guy. I can't remember his name. Um, the but, Leaper. I forget his name, but he's he's one of those that like on pay, from the comics is such a joke. But they actually used elements of that character really well. So go look up that character from the comics, and you'll see how much they really trimmed off. But it's still really <laughs> funny. Like he's this super like martial artist well like like jumping fighter person. yeah <laughs> it's uh, just weird uh george um, uh, bartok is the name uh batrock is the name of the character Batra, uh, yeah and, uh, the leaper uh, i think yeah uh, george st pierre is the name of the actor that that plays him and but captain america beat the snot out of him in the first in the first um in the winter soldier movie and then sam has to fight him again which is cool because like again i think it, it gives a nice parallel to the obstacles you know that, that yeah that that captain america has so it's not, not the obstacles that sam wilson had because those are very different but the obstacles that then captain america has that become very similar as soon as Cap, as soon as sam picks up the shield um what right. did you what do you think of the uniform what do you think of the new the new outfit well i say uh, up until this point we haven't seen it i will say one of the things that worried me about um Falcon is Falcon did use guns like he had his little Uzis or whatever. So far, we haven't seen that with Cap, which I think is very important because one of the polarizing things when Bucky was Cap in the comics was he used a gun. And that's part of Bucky's M.O. So sure. But Falcon has had Uzis and the fact that he's using the wings and Red Wing and the little jetpack to give him boost, but using the shield as his really only weapon thus far is important. And I think that if they stick to that, that's really important. The costume itself, Laura and I were both talking about it. There's some weird about the way it sits around his, his head. 
I get that the sort of the way that open his it opens his his the top of his head up and the white around his eyes and the red goggles is very very classic Falcon because original Falcon is pretty much just red and white and that looks a lot like his his headpiece but there's something about it that that I didn't love as much um, overall I think the threading of white throughout the costume was a little too much um, but I get that we were filming well his entire um, reveal and entire showing as captain america was at night so it shows better but um i think i I just kind of was like okay it's really good and i I don't have too much of a problem because steve rogers's captain america outfit is not the same in any movie he shows up in so i don't think if you're really really bothered by the way this particular cap outfit looks that you should really harp on it because it's going to like different productions are going to change it. Like I think even, you know, rewatching the first Avengers film, like I loved how Steve looked in the modern era outfit, but then by the end of the whole series, I was like, Oh my God, that was kind of really hokey. And I'm glad they changed it throughout. Cause by winter of Captain America and the winter soldier, that sort of more just like stealthy kind of blue outfit was really good. It kept changing. It kept looking good and it still kept, the cap look so i'm not as worried about it but in the original showing i give it about a b um uh i didn't it was i wasn't like immediately blown away but compared to what they what they did for costume design for winter soldier it was like a a plus plus but that said just cutting bucky's hair a triple plus so great you know we've we've done what we needed to do <laughs> on that side so that was worth it yeah yeah i uh i agree with you i thought that it was a lot of white to the point where like i felt like on a quick read it didn't read as red white and blue it just read as white and other colors like it just there was a lot of it and yeah and i was expecting more red i was still like thought you know okay this, there's going to be some star spangled banner here like it's going to be captain america but i felt that there was going to be more red because of the falcon influence i didn't expect yeah. there to be this much this much white in it and again i agree i think there's going to be some iterations if for nothing else i'm sure there's going to be some things you know feedback from the actor saying like can i just can i turn my head more like can there can i can there be more fluidity <laughs> and stuff in it um i felt like it at first I thought it was a little bit padded, but then I also took a look at the the stuff that um, Steve Rogers was wearing and his, his modern tactical outfit, which is my favorite, um, also had a lot of pads on it and stuff like that too. So it's, I mean, it, it's, it's true to the course. It's just that his pads were blue. They didn't have white trim, so they didn't stand out quite as much. Um, I, the thing that I think gets me a little bit where it does look a little bit strange is right up there with what you guys picked up, which was how it sits on his head kind of funny and it is yeah. the exact opposite of what they did like there's a couple shots where you can clearly see that um anthony mackie's ears are tucked in underneath the headband and <laughs> it's the exact opposite of what they did with uh, john walker whose ears stick out like dumbo when he's got this helmet on <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's true to the it's point true. where i've seen him in interviews his ears don't stick out that much it's the helmet is pushing them out on purpose like there's it, it, that was a decision that was made and it was a bad one and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this gets just cu- like pulled back just a little bit and you see more of Anthony Mackie's face, which I think would be more important. I like the high collar. I just think that the little sock that kind of goes underneath his jaw and up to his 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 temples will be gone. You'll get separate goggles and then the re- like the rest of the f- f- his head will just be free. 
because because Steve, yeah. Steve didn't have anything that went up up above his neck like he had a regular like kind of jacket issue uniform thing and then he had a helmet sometimes and in later movies he didn't even wear one of those so <laughs> yeah you know like i feel i feel like the goggles are key because it's part of his not superpowers but it's part of his ability set like he needs that tactical knowledge to then execute the cool stuff he's going to do just like batman's cowl right and yeah. and, I, and I like the plus the visor is cool looking and it's going to shield his eyes in the wind from flying around. There's all these tactical reasons to have it. So I don't think the visor has to go. But I think connecting the visor to the neck of the suit looks just strange to most people I talk to. It's it's the only thing yeah. that I'm just kind of like that's weird. Everything else, um, surprisingly, when you back up from it from head to toe, it's not as white as you think. It's only because most of the shots are like those torso shots. There's only a lot yeah, of white exactly. kind of like yeah. from the rib cage up sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but be- beyond that, like the function of it, like when he turtles inside the wings to avoid getting shot when he yeah he like protects somebody yeah like yeah he like superman capes him yeah 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 and then there's another part when like he's bracing himself to either be punched or push back against carly maybe and yeah yeah jabs the end of the wings into the cement floor like it's badass man like it looks that is cool fantastic and i have no idea how he controls the wings i don't need to know it just (laughs) exactly who cares you like but it just it all works so seamlessly and you really don't feel like it's a dude wearing a wingsuit you feel like the wings are a shield the shield is the wings like you just you get the whole flow of it all and and I really think it works well. And it was just so good to see, you know, Anthony Mackie take on the mantle of Captain, Captain America and just kick ass. Like there's just, yeah. he's, there's, there's moments where he needs to talk. There's moments where he delivers a really important message. And there's other moments when he needs to pick up a, a truck from falling off the edge of a building or punch someone really fucking hard. And he does it. Yeah. And it's, it's just yeah. good to see both of those things. Right. And I, I thought they did a really, really good job. Um, and, to to cap things off to to talk about the the message at the end of the series um i mean i can't do anything better than just quote what sam wilson says which is uh when he's talking about being there being in front of everybody as captain america he says i feel it i feel the stares the judgment and there's nothing i can do to change it yet i'm still here no super serum no blonde hair or blue eyes the only power i have is i believe we can do better the whole show just leads up to to this point and it's why i just have been telling everyone you just need to go watch the show even if you're not the biggest superhero fan it's more of a spy show anyway uh i i just think that everyone needs to watch it because it just does such a good balanced job of delivering the important message that we can do better yeah and it really it has that which to your to your point uh, 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 earlier about Superman, like it it has that Superman vibe, right? Like that's the kind of speech that you would get from a Superman, from a Steve Rogers, and now from uh, a Sam Wilson. And I it's I can't say enough good things about how the series handled this content. It it's it's really been yeah um it's been an emotional ride for me in in a lot of really good ways, and and I think that that's important to point out.
Well, we've run a little bit long this week because of just how much incredible content there was to talk about. So that is going to be the end of this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Brockett and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us just like Lord Valor at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. But word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcasts all about Minecraft at the spawnchunks.com. And of course, you can follow me on social media at Joel Duggan, as well as twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I'm going to be streaming uh, new snapshot content with Minecraft. And of course, from the Citadel server this weekend as well. Brockett, where can people find you online? Well, you can just look up at the Catvolver on all the social media stuff. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.